Today we're going to be talking about fasting. So let's look at Isaiah 58, starting in verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you, speaking of God, have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on, yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what, what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness." and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Would you join me in prayer as we continue? Father God, this morning, as we reflect on this practice of fasting, we ask that you would, uh, your spirit would be on our mind and in our hearts to lead and guide us to see how you want to apply this practice in our life. Father, may we reflect on the words that we just read and that we just heard, and that you would speak into our life where they fit in our life. Father, thank you for being so good, and thank you for sending your son Jesus to show us the best way to live. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen. When it comes to traveling, whether that's locally or out of state, I am an old soul, if you will, and that I'm the kind of person who wants to know where I'm going before I go there. I'm not okay with just hit go and whenever it tells me to turn, I'll turn. That just almost gives me anxiety just thinking about that part because it's like I have no idea where I'm going. Like I don't just want to trust it. I want to know generally how I'm going to get there. And I think part of that is probably from being around my dad. He is he's always been good with directions. Like he can like I remember when I was younger and he would tell me where to go. He'd be like, "Go down this road. You see this on your right hand, this on your left hand. I think this guy left this sitting out in front of his house. Like go past that. Then you're going to go through three lights and then." Cross the railroad track, like he'd tell me every detail, along with the, the streets and the road names and all that stuff, to tell me how to get there. Whether I needed all that or not, like he knew all that stuff, and so I think that's part of where I get that from. But I'm also just not a fan of being surprised that I need to turn or be in a certain lane with little notice. Like that just gives me anxiety too. I'd rather just know when to anticipate each move by knowing how I'm going to be able to go before I go. 
I also like knowing how I'm going because it allows me to have a contingency plan if I need to take a different route. But sometimes when I'm driving, I do occasionally forget certain exits or turns, even if I've gone that way many times and I'm just kind of in the zone driving or whatnot. And yes, sometimes I have got lost. And it's in moments like that that I have two choices. I can either meander around until I fumble my way back onto the way that I need to be, or I can starve my ego and reorient myself by looking at the GPS directions. Just like GPS is always available to us, those satellites are constantly revolving around the globe that we sit on right now. So too, God is always available to us. But often we fall prey to believing that we can do life on our own, and when our attempt to live as if we don't need God falls flat on its face, it's in those moments where we realize we need to get back to something that's constant. And we are found wanting to get back to where we need to be. But to do so requires that we have to starve something. It requires that we have to starve our ego. And only by starving our self-focus are we able to reorient ourselves to God's presence that's always been there with us. But I know sometimes it can feel like God is absent. But God reveals in his word and ultimately through the life of his son Jesus that this is not the reality Rather, it's a distortion of reality. The reality is that God is always near us. But because we are focused on our own self, we aren't oriented to recognize God's presence with us in a lot of situations. In order to see God's presence with us, we have to reorient ourselves. Fasting is one such practice that reorients us to see God's presence with us. What we encounter throughout the Bible is that the act of fasting can help orient us to God's presence. Fasting can help orient you to God's presence. As I mentioned earlier, last week was the beginning of a 30-day emphasis on prayer and fasting that we as a church body began to undertake in seeking God's will and direction for our own life, the life of the church, and the lives of those in the world. Last Sunday, Mitch got us started with talking about prayer, what it is, why we partake in it, and how we can partake in it. And today, as we've already caught, we're focusing on fasting. But why fasting? And what is involved in fasting? Some of you may think back to your Roman Catholic heritage and think of fasting in connection to Lent. Others may think more pragmatically about fasting in connection with various diets and lifestyles that advocate fasting for health benefits. And others may have little to no reference uh, to fasting at all, in that you've maybe heard the term before, but it's never been anything that you've ever thought much about ever trying to do yourself. Like, I know those people do it, but why would I need to do it? Fasting has always historically been associated with the life of a follower of Jesus, but it simultaneously is one of, those, one of the more mysterious acts in the Christian life. Like, we hear about it, we know it's in the Bible, but it just seems like it's this mysterious thing that's sort of there, but like, what do we do with it? But fasting is also not practiced distinctly within the Christian or biblical realm either. Most historic cultures include a form of fasting in some form or fashion in their way of life. But specifically this morning, as we look at this topic, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are most interested in what God's word affirms about fasting. 
What did you have for breakfast this morning? At a very base level, we all participate in the practice of fasting, if at the least between meals or from when we go to bed to when we wake up. We even have the term fast within the terminology of break, break fast, breakfast. Like it's there in our terminology. The time when fasting from food and drink overnight is broken or ended. At a very basic level, the fasting mentioned in the Bible involves abstaining from food and sometimes drink for a sustained or prolonged period of time. But is it always just abstaining from food? Well, fasting throughout the Bible is mentioned explicitly, meaning it directly references the term fasting in a couple different places. And one example of this can be seen in Judges 20, verse 26, where it says, Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. So the term fast is, is explicitly said in that passage. But fasting is also referenced throughout the Bible implicitly in many places, meaning the idea is there, but the term fast is not necessarily there. An example of this can be seen in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." So in most instances, fasting is about abstaining from food or drink, but in some situations, it's not food or drink at all. In this particular instance, it's, an, it's abstaining from sex between a husband and the wife, but for the purpose of prayer. Like, that was the context in which it's mentioned. But by far, food and drink are the standard things that we see people abstaining from during a fast, at least throughout the Bible. But what I want you to gather here is that food and drink is the standard thing that people give up, but there are other things that we see people give up in relation to prayer or seeking God. Maybe strange for some of us is the fact that few of the early characters in the pre-Jesus portion of the Bible, the Old Testament, are noted as fasting. I didn't really think about this until I was looking at this this week. The first instance of fasting that we really encounter is with Moses on the mountain when he's about to receive what we know as the Ten Commandments or the law that Moses receives. I would have thought it would have been mentioned way before that, but that's really the first instance that we have of it. And that's tied to Moses going to encounter God so that God's revealed law can be given to the Israelites. In this situation of fasting, Moses is a representative of the Israelite people who are seeking revelation from God. Beyond this singular instance of fasting in the life of Moses, the writings of Leviticus and Numbers describe a commanded time of fasting by God himself for the people of Israel to partake in. Leviticus 16, uh, 29 through 30 says, 
And this is talking about the Day of Atonement, um, which is a yearly time that the Israelites were to sacrifice or offer sacrifices for their sins. And so Leviticus 16, 29 through 30 says, Deny yourselves and do not, and do and not do any work, whether native born or foreign residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. So he's talking about deny yourselves. It's talking about fasting there. Deny yourselves something for this time period while you're seeking God for him to cleanse you. And in Numbers 23, verses 27 through 28, it says, Deny yourselves, so again, fasting, and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not, do not do any work on that day, because it is the day of atonement, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. This fast was initiated by God himself for the whole nation of Israel to do. And it was done as part of a nationwide seeking of God for absolution from sin. So in this particular instance, it's God who's initiating it, and it's for the whole uh, people of Israel to do. So it's not just a person doing it, but the whole nation at that time. And they're doing it in relation to seeking God for his cleansing. And the only other, at least as far as I could tell from studying, the only other reference we have of God explicitly telling his people to fast can be found in Joel 2, verse 12. So that's fast forwarding a little bit in the, the biblical story. The, the nations are um, exiled, I think, at this point, and um, the prophets are talking, uh, you know, revealing God's word to them. And it's in this moment in Joel 2.12 where God also says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. But this is only the second time where God himself initiates and says, you should seek, seek me in fasting. But beyond that, the rest of these are not like God-directed times of fasting that we see throughout Scripture. All the other examples that we have throughout Scripture are what seem to be self-imposed times of fasting by the various characters and for various reasons, meaning that fasting was something they chose to take on. It wasn't something that God told them they had to do other than these two references that we have, one for the Day of Atonement and this one in Joel. But as I've already talked about, fasting is something that many cultures have done. It's not just distinctly something that we see biblical characters doing. So it wasn't, it's not just this religious thing that only followers of God uh, did or, or do. But we see examples of fasting all throughout Scripture, but they're self-imposed times that people uh, take on to seek after God. And so some examples of that are, uh, one of the next ones that we encounter after uh, the Moses fast is that David, David has a penitent fast after the death of his child that was conceived when he had adultery with Bathsheba. And that's in 2 Samuel 12. So, that af so after that child dies, we see that David fasts in terms of trying to get himself right with God during that time because of recognizing the sin that he had committed and the consequences that came from it. Another example that we see is um, King Jehoshaphat and Judah had a national petitionary fast where they saw God for deliverance from the approaching allied forces of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and Edomites. And you can see that in 2 Chronicles 20. So here we see that King Jehoshaphat and Judah, as a nation, are asking God, we need your deliverance. We're at our end. We can't do anything else to, to stop this. We need you to intervene. So we have David seeking God to get right with him. And we have this instance where they're asking God for something. 
something that only God himself can do. Later, we see Ezra's petitionary fast as he prepared to leave 1,700 Israelite people back home from captivity in Ezra 7 through 8. We also see David's petitionary fast for the illness of his enemies in Psalm 35, 11 through 15. So these are all examples of people asking God to, to provide something in their life, but doing it through fasting. We also have the example of Esther's petitionary fast for protection amidst the threat of her people and her life and approaching the king about the threat that um, Haman had made to the Jewish people at that time. And so again, Esther and the people of Israel are seeking God and asking him to intervene, but doing it through fasting. We also have Nehemiah's call to a reconciliatory fast as he led a delegation to return to Jerusalem and repair the city walls, not directly, but corresponding to what was said uh, to do on the Day of Atonement in the Law of Moses. So what we see in Nehemiah is that he seems to be modeling what was called of the people to do on the Day of Atonement, but the people were in captivity, so they weren't practicing the, the annual days that they, they used to do before captivity. But Nehemiah is fasting and calling people to fast to get right with God as they return to uh, Jerusalem. We also see Daniel's reconciliatory reconciliatory fast on behalf of God's captive people. So while Daniel is in captivity and he's working for foreign powers and he's seeking God at that time, and while he's fasting, he's seeking for forgiveness and mercy for God's people. But again, he does that through fasting. We also see Daniel's mourning fast and desire to receive understanding from God. That's in, both of those are in Daniel 9 and Daniel 10. What we see throughout all these examples is that we could group these two fasts into two broad categories. There are fasts of penitence, that is, seeking reconciliation with God. And there are fasts of petition, that is, seeking provision from God. Beyond these examples of fasting, there's the example that we started out with from Isaiah 58, where Isaiah captures the following character that accompanies the fasting of God's people, where he calls them to fast with integrity, to treat others well while seeking God in fasting. Otherwise, fasting was simply an outward act that lacked a heart seeking God and truth behind it. I mean, that's the whole critique of Isaiah 58, yeah, you're fasting, but your heart is nowhere near seeking God. You're doing the outward act, but not having anything to do with God behind that. R.D. Chatham and uh, Romera Chatham in their book, Fasting, say it this way, ritualism is no substitute for true repentance. So that's the Old Testament, but once, we, once Jesus enters the picture in the New Testament, we see that some of these Old Testament practices of fasting continue, because obviously it's part of the Jewish culture. And they seem to still do it in the hypocritical way that Isaiah critiques, where they're, they're going through the motions, but their heart is not right with God. So enters Jesus and his disciples, who are Jewish in their culture and in the way of life, and they fasted, but not in the legalistic way that the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. To which Jesus is asked about this, like, why don't your followers fast like everybody else does? Why don't they follow the customs of the law? 
To which Jesus answers by describing the time coming when his followers would not have him with them in flesh, pointing to his death, his resurrection, and ascension before his final return to judge the living and the dead. And it's during this time when Jesus will be absent from them in the flesh that his disciples will fast. He talks about this in Matthew 15. So Jesus isn't saying they won't ever fast, but he's directing how they fast. And he's saying that my followers will fast in this time between my ascension to my father and when I come to return, when I return to judge the living and the dead. So that fast forwards us to the days of the church, which we are a part of today. And I thought this was interesting too. There are really few examples of fasting in the New Testament when it comes to the church. Two of them come from Acts, um, in Acts 13 verses 1 through 5, where at least a group of five men were worshiping and fasting, and amidst this time, while they're fasting and while they're worshiping, God impressed upon them to set aside or set apart Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. So in this instance, we see that they're seeking God through fasting. And it's in that moment that God impresses upon them to, to set apart Paul and Barnabas to, to take on a missionary work. Later, in Paul and Barnabas' missionary work, as they proclaimed Jesus and churches began to form, in Acts 14, verse 23, it describes that the two Two guys appointed elders for the, the churches that were started, and they did so with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So the appointing of elders was done through prayer and fasting. An overall takeaway that we can gather as followers of Jesus from these examples is that fasting is not a command. We're not Jews celebrating the Day of Atonement anymore, so that part we set aside at this point. Fasting is not a command, but it is a resource available to us to more warily spend time in God's presence. Fasting is a resource to more warily spend time in God's presence. For us to know how distant we have become to God and to discern how God is seeking to extend his presence through us to those who aren't yet aware of it. Likely the meaningfulness of giving up food or drink with fasting is due to the importance of sustenance to human life. I mean, most of us know if we go without food, we can last a little while. You can barely go without water for very long at all. Without food and drink, a human being deteriorates. But fasting from food and drink focuses our attention on where our sustenance truly comes from in the first place. And for followers of Jesus, God is, is the provider of all of our sustenance. So biblically, fasting is tied to awareness of God's presence in our life. But even in the situation where Paul was talking about the husband and wife abstaining from sex in 1 Corinthians 7, as much as an individual human life is not dependent on sexual intimacy to be alive, the broader point that Paul makes is that abstaining from sex in that situation had to do with a husband and wife seeking God in prayer, seeking to be aware of where God is present in their relationship. The abstaining or fasting from sex ultimately had to do with the husband and wife's prayerful awareness of God's presence and work in their lives. So to, so to conclude this thought, fasting in the Bible is generally abstaining from food and or drink or something else in order to help a person become better aware of God's presence. 
If you are a watcher of maybe the FBI shows or any kind of police show like that, you know that somewhere along the storyline of those shows, there often is a hostage situation that takes place. And many times the police will try to extract uh, from the criminal what they, they, you know, what is it you want? And if, if we can get that to you, you'll release the person, right? They're looking for like, what, will you, what can we give you in exchange for the person, for the, the hostage? Because their thinking is there's an exchange that needs to happen to satisfy the criminal to give up the hostage. For a moment, I want to invite you to consider what fasting isn't about. One thing that fasting isn't about is a transaction with God to get him to do something for you. Fasting can appear to be a practice of spiritual commerce. Like it can sort of look like that from the outside. That God needs to receive something from us in order to act toward us. But this view of fasting starts with the premise that God is not already for us and wanting to be with us. But rather that God needs something to gain something in order to care about us or spend time with us in the first place. This view starts from the premise that God is distant and that he needs something from us for him to pay attention to us. But this is not the image of God's character that Jesus reveals to us. Jesus reveals that God seeks to be with us even when we are far away from him. John in his gospel notes Jesus saying this in John 12 verses 32 through 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And Paul notes something similar in Romans 5, verse 8, where he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning at the time when we'd least expect God to care about others, when people are actively killing the son, his son, Jesus, he was still drawing them close to encounter his presence. That doesn't sound like a God who is distant or doesn't care about us. What we can gather here is that if God is willing to seek after people, even when they're trying to kill his son, Jesus, then fasting has little to do with getting God's attention. It doesn't seem like anything will keep God from paying attention to us. Fasting doesn't move God because his character is already about seeking to be with us without fasting in the picture. You, like me, have probably noticed that most services in your life have gravitated toward some kind of subscription plan. And the idea being behind that um, if you subscribe to such a service, you'll get extra things that come with paying that for that subscription beyond whatever the free version might be. Essentially, by paying, uh, uh, you know, giving something to get the subscription, by paying money, you get greater access to other services. Fasting can also appear to be an avenue of giving up something like this in order to gain an extra form of access to God. But that's not what fasting is. I mean, the thinking here goes, if I, if I fast or if I give up something, then I get more access to God's presence. The premise of this thinking isn't that God is absent. The premise assumes that God is already present, but it assumes that some of God's presence is somehow withheld. A form of God's presence that is only available through an exchange of spiritual motions. Like if I fast, then I get a greater access to God. 
But again, this is not the image of God's character that Jesus reveals to us. Jesus reveals that God does not withhold his presence from us. Rather, it is we who hinder ourselves from being in God's presence. God's not the issue. We are the issue when it comes to encountering and and having access and recognizing his presence in our life. The earliest example of this can be seen with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 through 3. God did not hinder his presence from Adam and Eve, but rather Adam and Eve hindered themselves from God's presence when they hid after eating the fruit that he told them not to eat. Adam Adam and Eve had already eaten the fruit, and yet God still comes to be with them in the garden. You think he didn't know that they took a bite already? That's not the, the way we understand God's character everywhere else. Like, Yet he still chose to come be with them, even though they, they disobeyed him. But what God encounters is Adam and Eve hiding themselves from being with him. They were the issue. What we gather here is that God wants to give us access to his presence, but we are the ones who evade, hide, shun, or ignore the presence that he's already offered to us. Fasting doesn't provide more access to God because his presence is already available to us before we take up fasting. My kids are just now at the age of getting into playing with Lego blocks, which also means you get to walk around the house and step on something. You're like, oh, what is that? Everyone who has little kids and Legos in your house knows what I'm talking about there. It's the, Legos are great, but that's the curse of Legos for sure. But if you've ever used Lego blocks of any kind, you know that it can take some maneuvering of a piece to get it to connect to the other pieces. And this greatly frustrates my one son right now because he's like, it won't go in there. And it's just like, you know, know, big ordeal. It's like, you got to maneuver. You got to change it. You got to turn it around. The piece needs oriented to the other pieces in order to work the best with the other pieces. Fasting isn't about doing something to get God's attention, and fasting isn't about gaining greater access to God's presence. What we gather throughout the Bible is that fasting helps orient us to God's presence. Fasting helps orient us to see how God is already with us, even when we haven't been paying attention to him. Fasting helps orient us to see the access to God's presence that has always been available to us, even when we've hid from it or ignored it. Throughout the examples of fasting in the Bible, fasting was a tangible way of posturing oneself to see God for who he is and who he promises to be. What we can gather about fasting throughout the Bible is that it can help orient us to God's presence. Fasting orients us to more clearly see God's presence that is already with us. Fasting can help orient you to God's presence. As we continue in our 30-day emphasis of fasting and prayer as a church body, how might you have drifted from being aware of God's presence? As a church body, the leadership of the church is inviting us to collectively fast on Wednesday, March 29th. So on that day, the church leadership is asking you to join the church body in fasting in some way or in some fashion on that day. That could be from food for the whole day, or maybe a specific meal, or from something else. But something to help you focus on God and spend dedicated time in His presence. To seek reconciliation with God on behalf of yourself, or for the church, or for the world. To petition God for His provision on behalf of yourself, and for the church, and for the world. 
What may God be calling you to abstain from for that specific day in order to help you be better aware of his presence? But you don't just have to only fast on March 29th. Maybe you choose to fast once a day for the next uh, few weeks that are still left of this 30 days. Or maybe it's every other day. I don't know what it may be for you. You can discern that with God. But maybe fasting is something you can incorporate into your routine to help focus you and reorient you to God's presence that's already available to you. Ultimately, we are inviting you to join in fasting for penitence and petition to help orient yourself to God's presence, to see what God is doing and how he is inviting you to be a part of what he is doing to bring fullness of life of his kingdom to be the way of life for everyone and everywhere. To enhance the quality of your prayers with God, try fasting, as it will better position you to dwell in God's presence. It will better position you to speak to God. It will better position you to hear from God. Fasting can help orient you to God's presence. Fasting can help orient you to God's presence. Would you join me in prayer as we close? Father God, thank you for your son Jesus who shows us what fullness of life is like and who showed us what life in your presence is truly like, that he revealed your character, your way of life, the life that we can experience with you, we get to experience in and through following him. Father, thank you for the many examples of those who've gone before us who took up the practice of fasting uh, to seek you and to um, show us what it's like to orient ourselves to be in your presence. Father, show us how you want us to participate in fasting over this 30-day challenge that we as a church are undertaking. Father, show us what it is that you want us to give up. Maybe it's something that we put a whole lot of faith in, and maybe we don't realize that we put a whole lot of faith into it. Father, whatever it is, help us to know what we should give up in order to focus on you as our true and truest provider. Father, lead us and guide us as we continue in this challenge as a church. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son Jesus that we pray this. Amen.